0: This is Bad Attitudes. Hello, and welcome back to Bad Attitudes, an uninspiring podcast about disability. I'm your host, Laura, and if you're listening to this episode, I guess I didn't screw up too badly. In episode 1. In today's episode, I'll be talking about ableism. What it is, what it looks like, how it harms the disabled community. Ableism will be a central topic on this podcast, so it's important to have a basic understanding of what ableism is. Before I get into it, I just want to remind you that disability is not a monolith. Even though some aspects are universal, my experiences as a disabled person are not the same as the experiences of other disabled people. I am one voice for the disabled community, but I am definitely not the only voice. Now, ableism. Think of all the isms and phobias you know about. Racism, sexism, ageism, homophobia, transphobia. Each of these is marked by harmful behavior, language, and beliefs directed at a certain group of people based on the particular attribute like race, sex, age, sexual orientation, or gender presentation. Ableism is the same, but the attribute it applies to is disability. That's a very simplified definition, but I think it helps give context. The best true definition of ableism I've found comes from an article on accessliving.org. Quote, Ableism is the discrimination and social prejudice against people with disabilities based on the belief that typical abilities are superior. At its heart, ableism is rooted in the assumption that disabled people require fixing and defines people by their disability. End quote. Essentially, ableism prioritizes non-disabled bodies over disabled bodies, and sees them as superior. Just like those other isms, ableism is usually not overt or obvious. It can be extremely subtle. For example, have you ever encountered someone using a mobility device like a wheelchair and casually rested your hand on the push handle without their permission You're walking by, you need a little rest, and there's a wheelchair user just sitting there. That's ableism, folks. It's rude and annoying as fuck. But it's also ableist because you are ignoring the fact that a person's mobility device is a part of their personal space. Would you casually lean on some stranger's shoulder? For God's sake, I hope not. If I went out daily, I would say this on on a daily basis. People have very little respect for mobility devices. They think they can move them without permission of the person who is actually using the device. And when you're a wheelchair user, using the device means literally sitting in the device. Like, I'm literally sitting in my wheelchair and someone will try to move it. That's ableism. Because you would never try to physically move a non-disabled person without their permission. So, my favorite example of ableism and I say favorite because it just it makes me laugh but my favorite example of ableism came in the form of a twitter exchange honestly the first time I saw it I laughed so hard because it's utterly ridiculous in his tweet user Daniel Lawson says quote disabled parking should only be valid during business hours nine to five Monday to Friday I cannot see any reason why people with genuine disabilities would be out beyond these times, end to quote. To which Jennifer Lee Rossman brilliantly responded, we're disabled, Daniel, not werewolves. Now, I'm not saying I am a werewolf, but I am also not saying that I am not a werewolf. What I am saying is that you never see me and a werewolf in the same room at the same time. Make of that what you will. <gasps> But this assumption that disabled people can't possibly have any reason to leave their homes after 5 p.m. Monday through Friday, and I am assuming must never leave their homes on the weekends, is ludicrous. From 2007 to 2014, my sister and I attended concerts at a local bar almost every weekend and often during the week. Those shows rarely started before 11 p.m., while I usually didn't see any other obviously disabled people at these shows, which doesn't really mean much when you're in a large crowd of people, especially if you're a wheelchair user because you can only see around belt buckle height so you don't get a f- full view of the crowd, I definitely wasn't the only disabled person out after 5 p.m. Clutch your Pearls are disabled after dark. Just consider all the things this guy assumes disabled people don't or can't participate in. Working at a job that goes 6 p.m. or later. Eating dinner at a restaurant. Dating. Movies. Live theater. Concerts. Visiting friends and family. After work shopping trips. Some of my best college memories are bumming around Walmart at midnight with my friends. And that's not even addressing his reference to genuine disabilities. Ableism within ableism. What is a genuine disability? I'm sure he had something specific in mind. Probably someone who looks a lot like me. Someone who is obviously disabled. If you see me out and about, assuming I'm not in my car, there's no question that I am disabled. I guess that means I qualify as genuinely disabled. Of course, that totally disregards the existence of folks with invisible disabilities and chronic illnesses who have good days and bad days and may need more or less accommodation depending on what kind of day it is. It totally disregards the existence of ambulatory wheelchair users who are regularly accused of faking their disability because they don't always need their wheelchair. Trust me, I am super skeptical of other people. I know there are people out there who take advantage of accommodations for disabled people or who embellish or who even straight up fake having a disability. I know. That doesn't mean that anyone gets to call people into question as to whether or not they are genuinely disabled. And if anyone does have that privilege... It is certainly not a non-disabled man on Twitter. Speaking of taking advantage of accommodations for disabled people, it is ableist to use the accessible stall in a public restroom when you could easily use a regular stall. Again, disabled people go out in public, and sometimes we have to pee. The number of times I have had to wait for someone who does not need the extra space to exit the singular stall I can use. Heck, the number of times I have had to wait for a woman who decided she needed to change clothes in the bathroom. You can tell when someone comes out of that stall whether they felt they had a legitimate claim to use it because they see in this case me and their face just becomes a mask of oh shit. I'm pretty understanding in a bathroom situation if there's a long line, because we know how ladies' rooms can be. If you're using the accessible stall in order to help the whole group of us move more quickly through the restroom, I'm generally okay with that. That being said, I am also not in a situation where having to wait a few more minutes could be very bad. Some people with disabilities simply cannot wait. It might be hazardous to their health for them to have to wait. And when you consider it takes people with disabilities a little longer to perform the necessary actions just to pee, seriously, have you tried taking off jeans while sitting on them? They already have to wait longer than the average non-disabled person to relieve themselves. And it bears reiterating, in the average public restroom, there is only one accessible stall. I am, of course, only speaking about women's restrooms, because I am a woman, and therefore that is what I use. But I assume it extrapolates to include men's rooms as well. If the restroom is large, there might be two. And when I say large, I mean like restrooms at an arena, where there might be 20 stalls, but still only two are accessible. Disabled people make up 25% of the population, but only garner 10% of bathroom stalls. I have a degree in English, but even I know that math doesn't add up. Of course, that also assumes that the accessible stall is clean and or functional. And lots of times, it is not. There have been many times when I intended to use a public bathroom only to look at the accessible stall and say, Nope, because, and hear me on this, ladies and gender nonconforming peeps, if you cannot stand... You cannot hover. A lot of the time, the toilets in these stalls are in disrepair. Who knew something as simple as using the restroom could be so ableist? It's ableist when someone who is not disabled uses the accessible stalls. It's ableist that there are so few accessible stalls available. And it's ableist that the accessible stalls apparently don't get the same amount of cleaning and maintenance attention. Even werewolves gotta pee, y'all. I did not intend for this to turn into a tirade on public restrooms. But when I started thinking about the people who use accessible stalls unnecessarily, it really started a ball rolling. I could give you so many more examples of everyday actions that are actually ableist. But there is more I want to talk to you about in this episode. If you're curious if something is ableist and you don't have someone you feel comfortable asking, then you can email me or DM me on our social media. Maybe I'll start an Am I the Ableist segment like Reddit's Am I the Asshole. It's not just external ableism that's problematic. Internalized ableism is a legitimate concern. Just like internalized racism sexism or ageism, people have unconscious biases against disabled people. And it's not only non-disabled people who have internalized these biases, but disabled people have a lot of internalized ableism as well. This affects the way disabled people view themselves. It causes a lot of self-hatred among disabled people because society has conditioned us to believe that being disabled makes a person less worthy than someone who is not disabled. Society and the media have told us over and over again that disabled people are not attractive enough, not strong enough, not human enough. And disabled people have taken that in and we turn it on ourselves. I struggled for a very long time and still struggle with negative feelings towards my disabled body. And these feelings are not uncommon. Not only that, but we direct internalized ableism towards other disabled people as well. One of my struggles with internalized ableism is recognizing that not all disabled people are obviously disabled. Growing up, I didn't encounter many disabled people, and invisible disabilities weren't nearly as well-known as they are now. Disabled people were not represented in the media I consumed. Also, I was a child, so literally everything was about me. But basically, as far as I was concerned, I was the representation of disability. That's something I'm having to retrain myself about, so I don't make snap judgments about people who don't look disabled. The idea that you have to look a certain way in order to be disabled is ableism that I have internalized from how society shows and defines disability. I am also unaware of what it means to be disabled and non-white or disabled and LGBTQ+, or disabled and pick any other marginalized group. My experience is solely in the arena of disabled, white, straight woman. So I often fall into the trap of thinking that my experience is representative of other disabled women. When I actually intellectually know that to be untrue. It's a lack of perspective, a lack of exposure to other disabled voices, which I am actively trying to remedy. And the internalized ableism that makes me think that my way of being disabled is the only way to be disabled. It's okay to acknowledge that you have these unconscious biases. If you don't acknowledge them, you can't dismantle them. I do understand the knee-jerk reaction to say, I'm not racist or I'm not ableist whenever someone calls you out. I have that same reaction because I'm human And I make mistakes too. And it hurts to hear that you've done something wrong when you are doing your best to be inclusive. But we have to remember that ableism and all the other isms are not always in your face. Microaggressions are a thing. A lot of that comes from behavior that was ingrained to us by society as a whole. We learned it. And just like we learned it, we can unlearn it. So, how does somebody unlearn ableism? Well, first of all, if a disabled person tells you something is ableist, believe them. Don't try to argue with them or wear them down. Your work or your education does not outrank a disabled person's lived experience and perspective. There have been many times when I've heard, I work with disabled people or I took a class. No. That means nothing in the face of an actual disabled person's experience. If a non-disabled person tells you something is ableist, you are welcome to take that with a grain of salt and follow up with the disabled community to see what the consensus is. Because a lot of times, and I'll discuss this more in the next episode where I'll be talking about harmful language, non-disabled people make decisions about what is acceptable in the disability arena based on what is most comfortable for them. Take the time to listen to the disabled community. There are tons of disabled creators on a variety of platforms from TikTok to Instagram to Facebook to YouTube. There are loads of books by disabled authors which I hope to share with you in future episodes. These creators and resources will give you an idea of what the disabled community Thinks about certain issues and what is important to them. Do not, and I cannot reiterate this enough do not share inspiration porn. Again, I'll talk about inspiration porn more in depth at a later date, but please don't buy into the myth that it is a feel good story. Inspiration porn takes a disabled person and whittles them down to one teeny tiny facet of their existence and exploits them for the gratification of non-disabled people. Do not participate in that. I hope I've given you a clearer understanding of what ableism is and what it looks like in everyday life. Like I said, I have plenty of examples, and you'll get to hear a lot of them over the course of this podcast. And remember, if you're not sure if something is ableist, be it a particular phrase or action, you can email me at badattitudespod at gmail.com or message me on our social media. We are at badattitudespod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And don't forget to visit the website badattitudespod.com. You can also follow my nerdy art business at Fairy Nerdy on Instagram and Facebook or visit the Fairy Nerdy store on Etsy. I still haven't come up with a cool outro, so please make sure to send in your suggestions for that. Until then, thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.